This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion right. is advised. And we're back. We're back already. You didn't even have to wait a day for us. Technically. Well, I mean, one day. The next day. You did not have to wait more than one day. <laughs> Mathematically speaking. Back to um, back. Yeah, we're back to our regular episode. This week is a little bonkers because our usual listeners episode that comes out the 13th actually came out the 14th. And then our regular episodes usually come out Wednesday. This one's coming out Thursday. It's fine. Y'all are getting two back-to-back episodes after our break. <laughs> so hopefully that makes up for it. Welcome to the New Witches. Yes. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Yeah. Long Can't time you, no but, you know. listen. <laughs> um we had so many lovely comments from people once we got once we posted our listeners episode like you know ending our break that was really encouraging we're really glad y'all are still out there i actually (laughs) i didn't even get a chance to look my day's been so busy but i love to hear that um we had yeah we've had several people um just basically reach out and just you know have some really nice encouraging words and just saying like we're so glad you're back so um and i also apologize to the listener that i was talking about in yesterday's episode and listener in the listener stories that i talked about yeah. was being like passive aggressive i was saying that in like a hyperbolic joking way they weren't actually passive aggressive <laughs> but they reached out to oh, me no. and they're like they were so i hope sweet. you did oh no i know they're the sweetest um, and they're like, I hope you didn't like think that I was trying to be passive aggressive. I'm like, oh, my God, no, I'm running my dumb mouth because I need to have a punchline. And <laughs> poor thing, I used them as my punchline. And I'm like, I, you know what? I wasn't serious. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Anyhow. No, I liked I loved hearing from them the first time just to make sure things were all good. Yeah, yeah, that's always really nice. And we're back with our spooky episode today. Which everyone knows we did last minute research for, so. Yeah, everyone knows. <laughs> um, Shout out to, oh my gosh, I forgot who our listener was that wrote in who's from Jefferson or or mentioned Jefferson, me Texas. See. I can um, actually, who, I can pull it up. Where is it? Whoever you are. You helped me decide my topic, so that's what I'll, I will be covering in the latter half of this episode. Was it Jenny? Jenny sounds right. If that's if it's not Jenny, I, I apologize. But um, why am I Mindy? Just no, Colorado, no, no, Emily. Emily, why am I Let's having just... a hard time? <laughs> was it your story? Or was it mine? What do you mean? I don't know. I don't remember. I just remember somebody mentioning Jefferson, Texas and how it was like the most haunted, one of the most haunted cities or the most haunted town in Texas or whatever. And I'm like, OK, that's what I'm going to do it. Do my topic on. Yeah. <laughs> what's So what's your topic? My topic is a story that I feel like a lot of people know about, whether they know all of it or they just know parts of it. Most people have heard it. Um. And they usually know it by the name of the murderer. Oh. But, you know, 
we try to do things better. Mm -hmm. We learn, we improve. So I'm covering the murder of Travis Alexander. And what most people may know is, um, like I said, the murderer, which who is uh, Jody Arias. I know neither of those names, so this will be all new oh, for me. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. This is. <laughs> it was a story that there's been like, forget if there was like a Dateline episode, there was like a Lifetime movie made about it. Which, if there's any true crime story, Lifetime's on it. It seems like, but they really are. That's. It was actually the Lifetime movie. I watched it and then was like, wait a second, that that actually happened. <laughs> And then I learned a little bit more, but um, it's an interesting one. So I figured for any, anyone who hasn't heard it, I would cover it. Excellent. I'm so excited. So it's not a great story. It's kind of sad. Well, yes, I'm not excited for Bill. <laughs> okay. It's always so hard to be like, yay, true crime. I love true I crime. I love that people have been murdered and their stories are being told. I mean, I am glad that their stories are being told because it's important. But yeah, especially for the victims, particularly. Right. I don't want anyone to at me and be like, don't say murders are important. But um, no. But I'm excited to hear Alexander. No, Travis. Travis oh, Alexander. That's a great. Two first names. That's That always makes like a great celebrity name, having two first names. Yeah. I had a classmate. Absolutely. Um, Her name was. Well. I probably shouldn't say it out loud, um, but I'm going to cut it out so y'all will only hear her first name. But her name was Mariah Tiffany. Oh, yeah. It's a great name. I, I, I could see it being a celebrity name or a porn name. Okay, I'm not I'm going to tell I'm not going to tell her you said that. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like it's it's got something to it. I mean, all positive things by that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I could hear someone getting mad at their boyfriend. You watched so-and-so's porn tape? You subscribe to their OnlyFans? Okay. It just, my f- it's a beautiful name. My favorite name. And this kind of ruins it because someday I want to name my daughter Amber. But I always think back to the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy. Or McCarthy? McCartney. <coughs> anyway, she like she's like, I want my spy name to be amber valentine and everyone's like that sounds like a porn name (laughs) (laughs) it does i love i love porn names i love what people choose for themselves Mm. some of them are real good some are interesting (laughs) yeah all right well anyways um back to travis back to travis something a little bit more serious so um i so this story kind of goes Easily can go all over the place. So the way I broke it down was, I have done this before too. It just helps my brain. I broke it down into a timeline. Excellent. Yeah. Let's just make it simple and easy. So first, we'll start with just some basic things. Travis was born July 28th of 1977, and he was born in Riverside, California. Oh. Um, He was a salesman for a... MLM actually called prepaid legal services. Oh. And he also worked okay. as a motivational speaker. Huh. Additionally, he was a member of the Latter-day Saints. Okay. Church, cool. The cool, Church cool. of Jesus Christ 
of Latter-day Saints. Gotcha. I remember. Um, and then the the other person, just a little blip on them, Jody Ann Arias, was born July 9th of 1980 in Salinas, California. So they're both native Californians, mm-hmm. um, three-year, you know, age gap. Gotcha. So anyway, September of 2006, Travis has been working um, at that MLM. Mm-hmm. And he goes to a conference in Las Vegas. And at this conference, he's there speaking as a motivational speaker um, and also as a legal insurance salesman. Gotcha. And it's there that he meets Jody. Okay. So Jody at the time was 28. She was living in Palm Desert, California, and she was Mm -hmm. trying to make it as a saleswoman and as an independent photographer. So they actually ended up working for the same MLM. Okay. Gotcha. When they met, they had an instant connection. They spoke on the phone every day. And um, later, courts would actually indicate that they exchanged a total of 82,000 emails. Holy shit. Yeah. So they were talking a lot. They weren't like a couple at this point, but they met. There were sparks. Blah, I mean, blah, back blah. then, emails were so big. Yeah. Especially if you like, it was basically like our version of love letters back then, like sending them back back and forth. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So primitive. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So then two months later, like towards the end of November, um, Travis, like I said, he's a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's a Mormon. So. Right. Because he was Mormon, Jody chose to be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Whoa. So she's like... Wait, they've only known each other two months? Yes. And she's already converting to his religion? Yes, and they're still not even dating at this point. Jody. She's trying to get in. Yep. Wow. It's not until February 2nd of 2007 that they begin, like, officially dating. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then you would think she makes, you know, grand gesture like that. They officially start dating. They've had this instant connection, right? Mm -hmm. But June, just a few months later, they break up. Oh. But although they were no longer dating, they maintained a very physical relationship. That's not going to end well. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> there's source different sources say different things. Um, Jody was a very sexual person, mm-hmm. whereas Travis wasn't at her level. I mean, you think about it; he was raised Mormon, right? Um, not really, you know, nymphomaniac status, but I don't know. Was Jody <laughs> a nymphomaniac or just like? I mean, nothing was a, you know, she wasn't diagnosed with it or oh, okay. anything, but very, you know, sexually driven. And gotcha. um, I know there was one thing I read about how she tried to convince him to have premarital sex by having anal versus vaginal sex. Okay. So it's a, it was a thing. Mm-hmm. It was a, they were physical, but it was an interesting physical relationship. Okay. So they, that was June of 2007. December, Travis begins dating another woman. And at this point, he allegedly 
told his friends that Jody was so jealous that she slashed the tires on his vehicle twice. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. After those incidents, his new girlfriend received a an email from a John Doe and Travis, he be, I mean it was pretty clear to him that it was Jody. And at this point, all of Travis's friends were warning him that he needed to stay away from her and that she was trouble. Rightfully so. Then the next month, we're in January of 2008, Jody um, apparently sent a text to Travis saying, Ah, I fell asleep, but to answer your question, yes, I want to grind you, and I want to be loud, and I want to give you a nice warm mouth hug too so this was basically Mm -hmm. the court indicating that shortly after this there was still a sexual element um Mm -hmm. i'm not sure that he how creative a mouth hug so kissing a mouth hug or like is she talking about a blowjob like mouth hugging his pp blowjob oh okay because (laughs) my innocent brain are they talking about kissing (laughs) (laughs) well they also so prosecutors this they were really big into setting up this timeline for the eventual court case okay because they wanted to indicate that she was texting these things because after that text like a week and a half later she wrote him my pussy is so wet wait are these texts or emails this is a text we are texting so we're graduating in technology great We had texting. We had texting throughout high school. It Ugh, was just so but only simple. like two hundred and fifty like... texts a month. Mm-hmm. I remember I was one of my one of the those, last those of numbers. my yeah yeah yeah. I was one of the last of my friends to actually get unlimited texting by the end of high school. Everyone was really? like, "What?" Yeah. I got unlimited texting young because my parents realized they needed it. That's good for you. I once um, made my dad have to pay a $150 bill because of how many extra text messages I was sending to my um, crush of all time, Jordan, in eighth grade. That's, had, that's exactly why we got unlimited. Was I had of no idea <laughs> that there was any limit. I mean, you can't get mad at a kid for that if they don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, anyways. Moving on. So we had texting. Yeah. Okay. So we know sexual texts were being sent at this point, but no one actually knows the extent of their actual relationship. So that's January. A couple months later, we know that they actually visited several states together. So they were like vacationing. And there's photos of them on vacation, like in the snow and things like that. Okay. Um, it's very interesting non-romantic relationship quote unquote broken up (laughs) then after their month of vacationing jody moved from arizona because she had moved there at that point to eureka california oh and that same month travis he had a blog blogs were a thing in 2008 like Mm -hmm. not in the way that they are now more like live journal kind of blog um he posted a blog entry stating, this year will be the best year of my life. This is the year that will eclipse all others. I will earn more, learn more, travel more, serve more, love more, give more, and be more than all the other years of my life combined. So he was like either writing a big high or was trying to. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Gotcha. And <clears throat> relationship-wise, we know that something sexual is still going on in April because he sent her texts stating things like, I'm at a nightclub right now, and it helped me come to the conclusion that you're one of the prettiest girls on the planet, and finally asking her to send him a naughty picture. Oh, okay. And May, there was a weird, a weird thing. So Jody also had a blog because everyone had a blog at this point. Most mm-hmm. people did. And she wrote, I cannot ignore that there's an ever present yearning and desire that pulses within me. It throbs for gratification and Whoa. fulfillment. Right? Very passionate. Very that passionate. Same day, that same day, Travis texted Jody saying, why don't you have him come and fuck you in the woods? I can only imagine you are so worried about me reading. You are paranoid because you have no respect for people's privacy and you dare insult me of all people. Someone you should through your actions you hate more than love by denying me a human right of privacy countless times. You have a lot of freaking nerve. We are not all like you in that aspect. Wait, what? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of context for that. But um, like I said, she was a very sexual person and she had a lot of demands. And it seems that that was her hook for him and what kept him from leaving her Mm -hmm. fully. Okay. Um, So like there's just writing and blogs that goes on for like a a month or so. And then um, there was... Something that occurred in June that made Travis believe that Jody had hacked into his Facebook account. Okay. And there's a privacy thing. There's a privacy thing. And he told his friends that he thought that. um, And he told them that he had told her to stay out of his life forever. So then June 2nd. So that was like the very beginning of June. Um, June 2nd, Jody, according to police, picked up a vehicle from Budget Rent-A-Car in Redding, California. Mm-hmm. And June 4th, she allegedly went to Travis's home in Mesa, Arizona. They had sex and took explicit photos of each other. And the same afternoon, the last outgoing call was made from Travis's phone. That evening, he missed an important business call. Uh oh. And there are photos. I there's one that I included. I don't know that we'll actually post it, but you can see it on the Trello board of him in a shower. Okay. Um but the look on his face is what got to to the court. Let me see real quick here. Going to Trello and it's loading. Oh my god, my computer's being so dumb today. Um, oh. Yeah, he doesn't look too happy there. Yeah, so you wouldn't if, you know, someone was like, hey, this guy like had a sexy sexy romp, and then you saw that, you would be like, Are you sure? He at least looks like that. he doesn't want his photo taken while he's at the shower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was taken June 4th. So June 5th, 
Jody went to visit Ryan Burns, who was a like a one-time love interest and co-worker mm-hmm. at the MLM, Prepaid Legal Services. And she visited him at his home in Utah. Okay. June 7th, she returned her rental car to the um, budget rental car in Reading. So, quick trip. June 9th, Travis's friends were concerned because they hadn't heard from him for several days and that wasn't like him. So they went to his home and they found him dead inside of his stand-up mm. shower. Oh my God, in the shower. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And oh. he, they, he was in a state of advanced decomposition. So <sighs> it was fairly clear that he had been dead for several days and there were large amounts of blood Oof. discovered throughout the master bedroom, including the floors, walls, and sink area. Oh, my God. Ultimately, um, they it was determined that he had been shot in the right brow with a twenty-five <gasps> caliber gun, and the bullet was found lodged in his left cheek, and that he had been stabbed 27 times. Whoa, okay, that is rage. Major rage. And the bullet would have done it. One and done. Right? One of the cuts, one of the stabs, was actually a full cut from, uh, cut his throat from ear to ear. So, very purposeful. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 words. That was a lot of meat for me to take in, but, um, (laughs) wondering... Do we know if the shot happened before or after the stabbing? Um, I don't remember. Because there was a theory, or not a theory, but um, I think the defense later tried to say that she shot him after he was dead. So it's maybe the shot Yeah, because after. that makes that better. <laughs> yeah, makes no sense at all, but... um that i forget if i wrote that wrote about that um i would hope that was the last i don't none of i don't hope that any of it was the last bit i wish none of it happened but um yeah i'm not exactly sure okay but so investigators found some pretty vital clues inside of his bedroom and bathroom so they they found the um 24 caliber shell casing Mm -hmm. and that was on the floor near the sink and they found a hair and a small latent print in blood near the entrance to the bathroom hall. Oh. They also found a digital camera in the washing machine in the downstairs laundry room. Huh. And the camera appeared to have been run through the wash cycle. So someone was trying to uh, get rid of some evidence. Yes. I mean, and homegirl, you could have just taken the SD card and like, you know, broken that. You don't have to like ruin a perfectly good camera, but OK, take, take the camera with you <laughs> or or that, too. I... <laughs> there's 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 things not that I condone her trying to get away with it, but sure, sure, sure. In any case, I mean, when when all of Travis's like friends and family were questioned about this. Every single one of them said, you need to talk to Jody Arias. Because that was the only person that they could think that would do that. Yeah. So that was that clearly wasn't a case of someone breaking in and. Yeah, that's personal. Killing them. Exactly. Yeah. 
So one of Travis's friends, Sky Hughes, um, did an interview with the Huffington Post, and he was quoted as saying that Jody was totally obsessed with him. She wouldn't let him go. Whenever he would try to sever all ties, she would threaten to kill herself. He would tell her he didn't want anything to do with her, and she would show up at his house. We knew it was her. We didn't want it to be her, but we just knew it was. And I think considering facts, that makes sense. Yeah. Yikes. So June 13th, Jody posts a photo gallery on her MySpace, because we're still in MySpace days. <laughs> and it was Gosh, titled... This is, this is making me nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> this photo gallery was titled In Loving Memory of Travis. Okay. So she went there. Mm-hmm. But June 17th, Jody went to the Mesa police headquarters and volunteer- she volunteered to be fingerprinted. Interesting. They okay. already had reached out um, and she was like, sure, no problem. You have my fingerprints. She also gave investigators a sample of her saliva for DNA testing. And while waiting for the lab results to come back, investigators were notified that several shocking images, some of which had been deleted, were recovered from the memory card of the camera. Again, you just had to take the SD card out. Girl. Or just not leave it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just going in and, I mean, I'm glad that she, like, gave all of her DNA to help them out. But yeah. she's either really, really dumb or really confident. Or both. Or both. <laughs> Probably both. This is not a smart person. <laughs> um, so the deleted pictures were of Travis naked in the shower just before his death. So that... Whoa picture was one of them oh my gosh and he appeared to be posing in some of the photographs but others were kind of dark and grainy um and some of them were of him on the floor bleeding oh my god whoa so six other photos that were time stamped that same day showed jody on travis's bed they were all nude pictures and most of them provocative sexual poses. So, like, clear proof that she was there and yeah. lured him into this. Right. Based on the photos, an investigator wrote, Jody was lying about not seeing Travis since April of 2008. This also proves that Jody was the last person I can prove had contact with Travis prior to his death. So this is why this is just a really dumb girl. Right. On top of being, you know, evil, but like, yeah, dumb. Yeah. So they contacted Jody again. They questioned her about his murder. And she repeated that she last saw Travis in April of 2008. And she admitted that they had been seeing each other as boyfriend and girlfriend for over five months, but it had officially broken up in June of 2007. And after some jealousy issues on the part of both of them, mm-hmm. she says. Okay. After they broke up, they continued to have a sexual relationship, but kept it quiet from people they knew. And she said that she last spoke to Travis on Tuesday, June 3rd. Later that day, Jody posted a message to her MySpace page saying, Mrs. Travis, see you soon, my friend, but not soon enough. Okay. There's dumb, but also like a screw loose. Like something's not right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't mean to make I don't light of 
mental illness, but um, but the lights are on, but no up. one's home. Some something's <laughs> up there, yeah. So June twenty first, they finally were able to have Travis's um funeral in Riverside, and then a few days later, investigators found or they were notified that a hair and that that bloody print that they mm-hmm. found inside, yeah, both belonged to Jody. Got her. Um, and then the bloody print was actually a mixture of Jody and Travis's DNA. Oh, so. So she was also yeah. bleeding. Yes, or something. To some, to some degree, or no, the print, the print, it was like her, her fingerprint and his fingerprint. Oh, the fingerprint. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that indicates she was for sure there while the yeah. blood was present. Yeah. Which just more against her. Um, that same day that they found that out, she attended a different memorial service that was for Travis. Okay. And July 9th, she celebrated her 29th birthday. And that same day, a grand jury in California indicted her on first-degree murder charges. Happy birthday, bitch. Yeah. So the Mesa police detectives and the Siskiyou... I never know if I say that right, and I feel like I should know it since I'm from California. Siskiyou um, County Sheriff's Department's arrested Jody at her Northern California home. Just remember, she's in Eureka. Right. And she was booked in the county jail. Um, and I also on the Trello board included her mugshot just to further. Ew. I'm not going to post her mugshot. You guys can can Google that. Um, I don't need her face on there. Ew. But I just wanted you to at least see the. The expression on her face. Yes. And the, the like, just the, to further, like, she really doesn't think anything of what she did. She's smiling if none of you, like, want yeah. to look it up. Like a smug smile, too. Mm-hmm. Like, with a head tilt. Very, like, yeah. MySpace cute. Yeah. 2008 MySpace. Weird. Yeah. So she gets extradited to Arizona. She gets a public defender and she enters a not guilty plea. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, she did a jailhouse interview with the Arizona Republic and she in it, she denied killing Travis, but refused to discuss how she would refute the DNA and photographic evidence. Right. She says, quote, God knows I'm innocent. I know I'm innocent. I had nothing to do with his murder. I would never hurt him. He was my friend. Okay. And then she was interviewed Mm -hmm. by the TV show Inside Edition, and she publicly for the first time said that she was present when Travis was attacked by two intruders. So then she changes her story. Now she's making more shit up. Yes. So then on Halloween of 2008, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office files a notice of intent to seek the death penalty against Jody. The notice um, accused Jody of committing first degree murder in an especially cruel, heinous or depraved manner. Yeah. Which not hard to see that. Yeah. So following her arrest, Jody expanded on her second story about the day of Travis's death. 
um, in another interview with Fort. Can I just say what is with like on one hand, these probably helped. But on the other hand, so many people were trying to interview her after this. Like this is her third interview in a month. Well, I mean, if it's like a, being accused a big of murder. murder case. Right. But it's just it's I don't know. It makes me feel a little weird. Like, I, I get it. But to have it, like, publicized for everyone to see, like, I don't know. It makes me feel weird. But she did another interview with 48 Hours, and she admitted that she was present, but that his death occurred during a home invasion and that the two were having fun playing with his new camera mm-hmm. when things took a sudden turn. She said, I heard a really loud pop, and the next thing I remember, I was lying next to the bathtub, and Travis was screaming. At that point, I sort of was just trying to come around and kind of orientate myself to what was going on. And I looked up and I just, I saw two other individuals in the bathroom and they were both coming towards us. And let me just say, she she notes individuals. She does describe it as a man and a woman dressed in black, but still most people, if you were in that situation wouldn't necessarily say the two other individuals. Yeah, it's I don't pretty, know. It's, it's, it's a, a little formal. interesting. Yeah, exactly. Um, so she said that they were armed with a knife and a gun. And at one point she said the man pointed the gun at her, but she was miraculously spared. Okay. <laughs> then she says he pulled the trigger and nothing happened with the gun. And so I just grabbed my purse, which was on the floor at that point, And I ran down the stairs and out of there and I left Travis there. I pushed past him and his gun and I just didn't look back. And she said that she just kept driving and never called the police. Um, exactly. My next question. You drive like, if that were police. true, <laughs> why did it take days for his poor body to be discovered? Exactly. If that were true and he was really your friend and your ex-lover, you, you would have called the police right exactly. the fuck away. Yeah. She claims she was terrified and scared for her life. And that there was a naive belief that she could pretend like it, like it didn't really happen. Sure, 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 sure. That's sure, not sure. even a naive belief. That's that's just that's just wrong. That's not that exactly. That's just not no. Exactly. So, <laughs> December of two thousand ten. This was just a fun fact. Jody beat out 50 other inmates to win at a, an American Idol style caroling contest for inmates held by America's toughest sheriff, Joe Arpaio, at the Maricopa County Jail. Her okay. prize was a Christmas stocking full of goodies and a turkey dinner for herself and her cellmates. Not important to the story whatsoever, but I just, this is a woman. <laughs> Who horribly murdered somebody, and that gets to be a life experience for her. Jesus after Christ. the fact. Yeah. That kind of reminds me too, though, of like um it wasn't like in a like a singing competition, but that video of Justin Timberlake performing to a bunch of inmates and he's singing alone or whatever that song is. And it's like are you seriously singing about how much you feel alone when these guys are locked up? 
It was the most depressing shit I've ever seen. <laughs> you know what really depresses me? Is that of all the members of NSYNC, he's the one that went solo and ended up like a big deal. And he does not have that great of a voice. Wait, did I say Justin Timberlake? I meant Justin Bieber. Oh. It was Justin Bieber. I'm going to have to send you the video. It's pretty like, I'm like who, <laughs> who cleared this set list? Because obviously it might have actually been Jody. Because <laughs> 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 they were not thinking. <laughs> I mean, was it too, was it at a, a woman's prison or was it a, a no a men's, men's prison. prison? What? You know that song that he sings that it's like, Jody, he Jody like, Peter. he wrote it, he wrote it during COVID and it's all about like. I feel oh. so alone. I, I don't even remember the melody, but it basically, that's what it's about. I, I feel so lonely. Oh, yeah. Low, low, low. I'm not going to sing it right now. Um, unless it's been on, uh, like, the, if a snippet's been on TikTok, unless it's been on there, I don't know it. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna look for the video and I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those poor, they've suffered. In, well, I don't know if they suffered I mean, enough. I don't know what they did to get in there, but. It was just a very ironic <laughs> moment. Very. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Okay. All right. Okay. August 2011, Jody decides that she wants to represent herself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this woman. Is... <gasps> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, the judge grants the request, but had her public defenders remain on as advisory counsel. Because, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, probably a good idea. That was very nice for, to, for her. Yeah. So um, that same month, a request to admit letters that Jody claimed Travis sent her prior to his death was denied. And then and in the letters, Travis allegedly admitted to being a pedophile okay and the prosecutor told the court that the letters were tested and found to be forgeries yeah and after the ruling right after the ruling jody told the judge that she was over her head and then reinstated her defense counsel (laughs) oh my god this woman is a piece of work she really is because she has a third story about his death oh i can't wait that was detailed in court documents as part of the request that she made to admit electronic copy of these alleged letters. So um, the quote that I have here says, defendant had previously attributed the crime to intruders. She now argues that all of the letters must be admitted to support her domestic violence defense. Oh, okay. Defendant argues that the letters are relevant to her claim of self-defense and that she was a victim of previous sexual and physical abuse by Mr. Alexander. Now, Jody, according to prosecutors, claimed that Travis became angry when she dropped his camera and that she was forced to kill him in self-defense. Those wounds Mm. are not a a, a self-defense. Yeah, nope. Though... Well, no, that's different. I just heard a story about a woman who found out that her husband had um, sexually abused their children when they were younger. So she boiled a big pot of water and added sugar to it and poured it on him while he was asleep. And he later died from his wounds. And um, by adding sugar, it made it impossible to like remove 
it made his it fucked it up basically and it a lot like of people almost, it was almost like like a how when you're burned with tar it's yeah. like sticky she basically yeah. like caramel she pretty much poured hot yeah. caramel on him gotcha yeah i just read about or did i hear about it or read about it i don't remember that's intense yeah they want her to rot in prison and then other people are like well <laughs> he really was a pedophile though <laughs> so um anyway anyway that's like a tangent so See, let me go to the next one. So, okay, December, uh, they're in court. Mm-hmm. Jody's younger sister, Angela, said that her sister's statements during the 48 hours interview were lies and that Travis's death was an act of self-defense on her sister's part during an incidence of domestic violence. Now her sister's trying to go along with it. Okay. She said, quote, she was not under oath when she spoke on TV, and yes, she lied. And this is... she. She wrote this on Facebook after the Huffington Post sent her a request for comment. Um, she continues to write, but it was because she was so in love with that man that she did not want people to know what a monster he really was. Mm. She wanted everyone to believe that he was as amazing as they thought he was. My sister is innocent of the crime they're accusing her of. She did kill Travis, but it was not in cold blood. It was for it was not for revenge. It was because she was afraid for her life. Okay. So January, um, a death penalty qualified defense attorney was assigned to represent Jody because that was getting more serious. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and February, the judge again denied a motion by Jody's defense lawyers this time to remove the death penalty as a punishment option. Very much wanted to keep it on the table because the defense argued um, that Jody should not face the death death because she had not planned to kill Travis. His death was an act of self-defense. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Nope. Nope. So, January of 2013 is when opening arguments like officially began the trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and prosecutor Juan Martinez cited the various stories that Jody had told law enforcement before she finally settled on a self-defense motive. And, um, the prosecutor described Travis's murder as violent, that there were three different ways he could have received a death blow. That he was shot, he was stabbed, he was stabbed in the heart. Fuck. Like, right for it. And mm-hmm. his throat was slit from ear to ear. Oof. Travis also had defensive wounds on his hands. In wrapping up his opening argument, Martinez played part of a media interview conducted after Jody's arrest in which she said, mark my words, no jury will convict me. And he can, he asked the jury to mark Jody's words and concluded his opening statement. I just, I love that. So confident because <laughs> it's so clear. Yeah. <laughs> During the defense team's opening argument, um, the lawyer, the death penalty ready one, her name mm-hmm. was Jennifer Wilmot. She acknowledged that Jody had killed Travis, but said that the key questions um, as to what motivated her to do it, or that the key questions for a typo, they needed to focus on that. So she, um, Wilmot alleged that Travis had pressured Jody into having vaginal, anal, and oral sex with him. 
and that she planned to call to the stand an expert who would testify about how Jody's relationship with Travis fit the mold of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Wilmot concluded her opening argument by saying that Travis had become enraged when Jody dropped his camera and that she had had to defend herself or she wouldn't be alive today. Mm-hmm. I really, really hate when someone has the audacity to really be guilty and try so hard to be seen as innocent that they'll yeah. tarnish the person that they murdered. Yeah. Like try to make them seem like such a shitty human being. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I mean, they're like clawing <laughs> and grasping for something to hold on to, you know? Like, Because yeah. obviously if she killed him like that, she doesn't fucking care about him. She cares about yeah. her. Yep. Well, <clears throat> the prosecutors, their their witness that they, um, so their first witness was someone that attended church with Travis and had gone on a few dates with him. And that was basically just to say, like, I felt safe with him. I never mm-hmm. saw a temper, kind of like a character. Character witness thing. In a way. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the next witness they pulled was the patrol officer who witnessed the crime scene firsthand and the condition of his body. Yeah. And they just kind of went over that. And that was, you know, I think that was a really strong opening <laughs> for the jury to see. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So they basically they pull a number of different witnesses to come and be questioned. Um, one of them a few days later was a homicide detective. Esteban Flores Mm -hmm. and um, Flores had investigated the crime scene and mentioned a phone call that he had with Jody a few days later um, after that. And they then played the audio recording of the conversation in court. During the recorded call, Jody described herself as a good friend of Travis's and said she wanted to help police in any way she could. She told him she had heard that Travis had passed away and that there was a lot of blood at the crime scene. She asked what type of weapon was used or recovered at the scene, but um, he told her he was unable to discuss that information with her. He asked about her relationship with Travis, and Jody said that they hadn't dated long. She said, we dated for like five months, we broke up, and we actually didn't see each other for quite a bit. We tried to remain friends, more like buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, we were intimate, but I would not say romantic as far as a relationship goes. In regards to the couple's breakup, Jody said she had a suspicion Travis was cheating on her. She said she could not trust him and claimed he would get upset really easily. During the phone interview, Flores told Jody that Travis's friends had alleged that she had hacked into his email, which she, you know, denied. Right. He said, you know, people felt you were taking advantage of him or hanging out when you weren't wanted. And she dismissed that opinion. Um, and thought that it said it was just because she was an ex-girlfriend. And then Flores goes on to, we need to know who had some type of beef beef with him or why they would want to do this to him. It was an angry situation. Somebody went in there to hurt him and they did. They hurt him really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Jody said Travis was quite strong and she could not understand how anyone could overpower him. She said, um, she also said she was concerned because he never locked his doors. Okay. So already setting up the intruder thing, if it comes to that, I guess. So then um, it goes to a cross-examination. Kirk Nurmi 
defense attorney. So he asked Flores if he had seen a photo of a French maid outfit that Travis allegedly wanted Jody to wear when she would clean his house. Flores testified that Jody told him um, she had cleaned his house, but said he had never seen a picture of a French maid outfit. The defense attorney then questioned Flores about emails Travis allegedly sent to Jody. Nermi asked if um, Alexander had called Jody names in the emails like slut and whore. And Martinez objected, citing hearsay and speculation, but judge the judge allowed the question. Mm-hmm. Flores then confirmed that Travis had sent messages to Jody calling her those names. Um, after a short recess, Flores read from a Facebook message that he said um, Travis sent to Jody saying, I was nothing more than a dildo with a heartbeat for you. Ooh. Oh, man, he put that in a Facebook post? It was a message oh, to her. Oh, in a message. Okay. I was going to be like, yeah. wow, ballsy for him. Yeah. Um, but still, is, yeah. Right? It sounds like kind of how she, yeah, how she treated him. Exactly. I, it's, I feel like when you look at the relationship, it ends up being pretty clear that it was, she instigated everything. Yeah. But anyway, so that, that day ended with, them stating that the forensic team took a total of three days to complete processing the scene at his house. And that's where they entered in the evidence um, that was found in the washing machine, that camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't just find the, the camera. They also had clothing and the, like the SIM card, which was still in the digital camera. Yeah. Um, there was also a towel, which appeared to have bleach stains. Okay. So clearly someone was trying to clean something and then said, I mean, it's really, really clear that someone was trying to clean up after themselves. Yeah. Um, They did bring in Ryan Burns, Jody's like once budding love interest. Okay. Um, And the guy, he was also a coworker and he was called to the stand by prosecutors. And he testified that he had a heated makeout session with Jody just a day after Travis was murdered. Because remember, she visited him right. on her way home. Yeah. He said, we were talking and we kissed. Every time we started kissing, it got a little more escalated. He said that the couple never removed their clothes during the encounter and that he never touched her breasts or anything. I don't know why that matters. He I, he wants to probably come off as a gentleman. <laughs> yeah. He testified that he first met her at a um, prepaid legal convention in Oklahoma and that a few weeks after the initial meeting, um, they were chatting on the phone three to five times a week. Toward the end of May 2008, he and Jody had made plans for her to visit him in his home in Utah. And according to him, Jody was several hours late arriving at his home on June 5th. She told him that she had gotten lost and had stopped to rest. Jody had apparently dyed her hair since the last time he had met her and had oh. cuts on her hands when she arrived. Oh, really? He said I am she had... so surprised. Right? <laughs> she had two small bandages on a couple of her fingers. Hmm. She explained away the injuries by saying that while working at a Margaritaville restaurant, she had broken a glass and cut her finger. That's okay. what she told him. Okay. The prosecution questioned him about Jody's strength and said that she was fit and had close to a six pack and that she's a lot stronger than she looks. He was followed on the stand by um, two latent print examiners, 
for the the police department. Mm-hmm. And so they described taking Jody's fingerprints and DNA sample. They basically found a palm impression on the wall, as well as items recovered from the drying machine inside um, his apartment and a bloody carpet stain. So that's kind of some of the places they took samples from. Oh, circling back to um, Esteban Flores, when he talked with Jody, he was on the stand again, or he was interviewed. And, um, he noted that Jody kept saying that she was afraid of guns. Okay. So that was just kind of a statement that kind of stood out considering he had been shot. Right. And then I guess on her way, she said in the the interview with him that on her way to visit the guy in Utah, um, that she slept in her car during the drive from Eureka. Okay. And she, 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 she made a quote of saying, like, I'm not shy about sleeping in my car. And he suggested, you know, well, that could be dangerous. And maybe you need protection. And then she said, I was thinking of that. But handguns are expensive and not in my price range. And then later said that she was afraid of guns. Okay. So basically, there was a conversation around guns where her opinion kind of waffled. Yeah. Also, just to be clear, um, she did not work at Margaritaville. Okay. Where she uh, said she worked. Right. They, they like, made it a point to, like, prove that in court. She wow. was not so an employee she there. she didn't even think that they would verify her place of employment? Right. Well, I mean, I guess she told that to the dude, right? Yeah. It's not like she like, told it herself to, like, the court, but still it's... But here's the thing. There isn't even a restaurant called Margaritaville in Eureka. Right. So, like, not only okay. does she not work there, it doesn't exist. Oh, my God. She just, like, said the first restaurant name that came to her mind. Yeah. Like, there are so many different situations where you could have cut your fingers on glass, and that was what came to her. A very implausible situation. She went out of her way to make up a lie. Gosh. When, yeah, I was doing the dishes and a glass broke. Yeah, easy. Easy peasy. I mean, I'm glad she's so dumb, <laughs> but like, girl. Oof. Yeah. So they continue on and um, there was they testified about receipts found in her bedroom because they did, you know, search her room eventually mm-hmm. and um, found a receipt that showed she rented a car in Reading and that she returned it six days later. After putting 2,834 miles on the car. Whoa. So that's the car she used to go to Phoenix. Or not Phoenix. Oh my gosh. uh, Mesa. Yeah. Okay. So then. Okay. This might be a good point. Lisa Perry, who is a forensic scientist for Mesa Police, was called to testify after Mendez. Perry said that um, over two days at the crime scene, she had collected blood evidence for DNA analysis. And she spent a significant amount of time on the stand detailing the blood splatter and stains that were found throughout the apartment. She also testified that a, uh, the 25 caliber bullet casing that was found lying in a pool of congealed blood that basically suggested the bullet inside the casing had been fired after the blood was on the floor. Okay. So the stabbing did happen first. Right. Or at least some of the stabbing. Mm Mm-hmm. Who knows if it continued. Right. Oof. Jesus. 
So Mesa detective Esteban Flores returned to the stand after Perry completed her testimony. Mm -hmm. And he testified that he had a conversation with Jody in which she acknowledged she had Travis's ATM personal identification number, pin number. (laughs) And the, no, it's not pin number. It's pin. It's your, yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's okay. Makes me think of Schitt's Creek. (laughs) Just pin. Um, she she also had the security code to enter the garage of his apartment. And Flores also testified he was aware of the interview Jody was given um, when she did the the inside edition, where she said, "No jury is going to convict me because I'm innocent." You can mark my words. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Jody also said in the interview, "I understand all the evidence is really compelling. I've never shot a gun." That's heinous. I can't imagine slitting anyone's throat. During cross-examination, Flores acknowledged that testimony he had given at a hearing on August 6, 2009, was incorrect. During that hearing, Flores had testified that Travis was shot before he was stabbed. So then the defense attorney kind of jumped on that and was like, so your testimony that the gunshot occurred first was inaccurate? Your testimony was a mistake. And Flores said, no, my testimony wasn't a mistake. It was a misunderstanding of what the uh, basically the medical examiner said. Yeah. So then the final witness was called by prosecution, and that was Jody Legg, a DNA um, analyst. And she testified that she analyzed a piece of wall cut out of Alexander's apartment and found DNA belonging to both of them. Um, after her short testimony, court was recessed until January 14th. May 8th, 2013, after 15 hours of deliberation, uh, Jody was found guilty of first-degree murder. All no right. surprise. <clears throat> Out of 12 jurors, five found her guilty of first-degree premeditated murder, and seven jurors found her guilty of both first-degree uh, premeditated murder and felony murder. And as the guilty verdict was read, Jody struggled to repress tears as Travis's family smiled and hugged each other. Yay. Yeah, that's a good day. Yep. And then the people who were outside the courtroom were cheering and chanting. Like, everyone knew she did it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, everyone. Everyone knew. But, so, mm -hmm. after that, the prosecution... um, was still required to convince the jury that the murder was cruel, heinous, or depraved um, in order to find out if she was eligible for the death penalty. Okay. Which is like, <laughs> that wasn't enough. Jeez. So that that begins what's called the aggravation phase mm-hmm. of a trial. So <laughs> basically, after three hours of consideration, the jury determined that she was eligible for the death penalty. Yep. Not surprised. So, yep. And then we go to the penalty phase. And um, that's basically they gave, they had people give victim impact statements. Mm-hmm. And then a few days after that, Jody offered um, an allocation during which she pleaded for a life sentence. So she acknowledged that her plea for life was a reversal of remarks she made to a TV reporter. When she, I guess she at one point mentioned that she preferred the death penalty. Oh, <laughs> I think thinking she is so that so dumb. Exactly, she's Jesus. just really dumb. 
Um, so May 23rd, the sentencing phase of her trial resulted in a hung jury prompting the judge to declare a mistrial for that phase. I bet the vote, I guess, was eight to four in favor of death. And you have to have all, everybody. Unanimous. Yeah. Then they discussed the next steps at a news conference. Um, the county attorney said that he was confident an impartial jury could be seated, but it was possible that lawyers and the victim's family could agree to scrap the trial in favor of a life sentence with no parole. As of April 25th, 2013, Defense costs had reached almost $1.7 million paid by taxpayers. What? $1.7 million. This girl. $1.7 million? Yep. Mm. And the penalty phase, um, as far as I could tell, is still ongoing. Oh, man. Well, yep. Hashtag Jody sucks. Check out her smug shot. R.I.P. Poor Travis. Yes. Of course, the AC kicks on as soon as I start my story. Um, it's the a, a spooky atmosphere. Right. It's just like, if anyone is listening with like a subwoofer, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yes. Who'd you say it was? Ashley? Yes. That mentioned Ashley. Jefferson, Texas. So, yes, I'm going to be covering the ghosts of Jefferson, Texas. Um, and a little bit on the history of Jefferson, Texas. Uh, it's a city in East Texas. The end. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. I just feel like, I don't know. I feel dumb right now. Okay. Jefferson City is a city in East. No, it's not Jefferson City. Wow. Struggling. <laughs> Jefferson is a city in East Texas. It was founded around 1841. We're not totally sure, but that's like an estimate. And it's a tourist destination, has a bunch of, like, very antebellum historical buildings and landmarks. And it was a 19th century river port, actually, like, super similar to our beloved Petaluma. Okay. Yeah. Um, so some popular attractions, uh, railroad magnate Jay Gold's railroad car, the Stern Fountain, Jefferson Carnegie Library, Excelsior House, the House of the Four Seasons. Like, oh my gosh, that sounds fun. And the bayous formed by Big Cypress Bayou. So, I mean, it's a lot of like, if you're a history buff. And if you like ghosts, go here. So almost, this is pretty cool. Almost every single commercial and residential building on the main road in Jefferson is a historic marker. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as I said, it was a river port. It was a, one of the most important commercial river ports um, with a lot of like riverboat travel between there and St. Louis and New Orleans um, with access through the Mississippi and Red Rivers. Um, and it was like the most important port in te- one of the most important ports in Texas between 1845 to 1872. So they had a good like almost 30 years. What was interesting, like, what made this area accessible, there was, like, a a raft or something, like, basically a dam on the Red River that made the water level, you know, accessible for boats. Um, and upon the discovery of nitroglycerin, they basically blew that up. The water levels lowered, and the river travel to and from Jefferson was no longer feasible. Um, at the height of its, like, 
success as a river port, the population of Jefferson was like 30,000. Um, and then when the dam was blown up, it just turned into like a really small, quaint location rather than the bustling like hub that it used to be. And mm-hmm. the population got even as low as 3,000, like from 30,000 oh, wow. to 3,000. Wow. Because like just That's huge. Yeah. I mean, they had so much. It was a huge like trade port. And then all that just stopped. Hence, well, you know, when it stopped like in 1872, that was around the time that, you know, boom, no right. more river port. Um, but since then, Jefferson has become, it's like a very eerie place. I mean, it's also beautiful, especially if you love the antebellum architecture and feel in the South. Um, but it's known as the most haunted town in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go through some of the structures and the different um, buildings that are haunted. Um, the first one being the Excelsior House. Um, so the Excelsior House Hotel is the oldest in East Texas. And it's been in operation since the 1950s. Um, Prominent named guests like Oscar Wilde, Ulysses S. Grant, and Steven Spielberg have spent um, some time here. And there's actually a story that says that Spielberg's movie Poltergeist was inspired by this hotel. Uh, Apparently, he woke up uh, to a ghost of a young boy asking him if he wanted breakfast. And Spielberg checked out early. He was freaked out. It's just a kid wanting breakfast. I know. Imagine that it was like just this kid that was like misplaced. Like, but also like what a what a nice kid like asking him if he wants breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, no. I I mean, if I wake up to anything standing at my bedside, <laughs> I'm I'd book it as well. Um. So in this um, hotel, the most startling ghost is that of a headless man. That roams the second floor, and he carries his head in his hands. Ooh, yeah, which is that's fun. <laughs> so he's not fully headless; like he has his head. It's just detached. Um, it's an accessory, <laughs> exactly, like a handbag. Um, so guests have also encountered the ghost of a woman dressed in all black carrying her baby. Super creepy. Um, there's also a spirit of a murdered prostitute. Honestly, there's a lot of hotels, like haunted hotels in Jefferson, and they all, each of them have a story of um, a murdered prostitute. Yeah. Because that just fucking happens all the time, and even more right. so in the 1800s. Or lo- early, you know, 1900s, I'm sure, too. Um, so there's this rumor that this prostitute, this particular one that haunts the Excelsior house, um, apparently she was doing pretty good for herself you know like she was like an upscale you know prostitute for like you know congressmen and athletes (laughs) Ooh, no i'm just i'm just quoting i'm just quoting easy a i'm just quoting easy a from there no but she was like really doing really well she was very flashy in her quote-unquote wealth um she bought really expensive jewelry and always wore it around um Her flashiness, unfortunately, got her in a bit of a pickle. She was robbed and murdered for a diamond necklace that she was seen wearing around town. Um, Her killer left her body in a nearby forest. um, And that spirit and her spirit now lives in the hotel where she last stayed while visiting Jefferson. Next is the Grove. 
Um, this is a historic Victorian home built in the 1860s. Uh, known as one of the most haunted houses in Texas, just about every resident has some sort of paranormal story to tell about it. So the first residents to report strange goings-on um, at this home was T.C. Burks, uh, who moved into the Grove in 1882. Burks moved his family out in just like a few months. Oh, wow. He, he was never really specific on what went on, but he was very visibly scared, and his only explanation that he would really say was just like, we cannot live there anymore. Like, we can't live there. Right. So he was definitely spooked. We don't know exactly why. Um, the Grove is uh, was then um, moved on to the Young family, who took over after the Burks. So the Youngs were an African-American couple who were born into slavery, and then they moved to Jefferson after um, uh, uh, the slaves were freed. Okay. And in 1908, their son James unfortunately committed suicide by hanging himself on the back porch. In the 1950s, uh, Miss Louise Young took over the house after her parents' death. And while uh, Louise was initially comfortable with the ghosts of the home, they became a little more aggressive. Some would even say, like, menacing as time Mm -hmm. went on. She said that she would see shadow people walking around her house and the property. um, And that when she would see them, they would, of course, like, disappear as soon as she would, like, turn the lights on. Um, she often felt like there was an intruder in the house, hearing footsteps and like the sounds of doors opening and closing. So she had a lot of scares where she thought, you know, she was, um, she had this intruder, but then she would just like look through the house and there was no one, like the doors were locked. There was no way that it was like Mm -hmm. a robber. Um, many of the Grove's other residents report seeing the glowing white figure of a woman walking around the house or sitting on the porch. And she is known to walk through one of the side walls, which was once an entrance into the children's room, actually. Okay. And some say that she may be the ghost of the original owner, Minerva Fox Stilly. I love the name Minerva. It's so beautiful, right? Many. One of the um the quote unquote butterflies in Dominican Republic, if you ever, you know, read the book in the time of the butterflies, her name was Minerva. Um, I love that. And it's it's also um, another moniker for Athena. So there you go. Um, So you can't talk about the South (laughs) without talking about racism. Um, So unfortunately, I'm going to talk about it, about this story. Just like I just feel so bad for the victims of this. So during the Reconstruction era, there were movements to educate and fight for the rights of freed black people in Jefferson. Awesome. And then, of course, these efforts were very quickly, like, you know, stamped out. People were like, we're not having that. Former Union Lieutenant George Washington Smith and freedman uh, Anderson Wright were assaulted in 1868 on their way way home from a meeting with the Reconstructionist Republican Party. Um, So there was this group uh, led by R.P. Crump. They fired a gun at Smith and Wright uh, in the dark. This prompted uh, Lieutenant Smith to fire back and hit two of Crump's men. 
Crump called the local authorities who arrested Smith and Wright along with three other freedmen. Um, and then while in jail, it's just like, this is horrible. While in jail, a large mob of townspeople, including members of the Ku Klux Klan, organized and stormed the prison, shooting Smith inside of his cell. Oof. Two of the freedmen were murdered when they were dragged into the road and beaten to death. So Wright and the remaining freedmen um, managed to escape, though they were very badly injured. And this is, like, even more enraging. In the two months following the incident, the KKK and local townspeople rode around town, terrorizing black residents and setting fire to black-owned farms, churches, and businesses. It got so bad that the National Guard had to be called in to declare martial law. Oh, wow. 35 men were arrested um, in the incident. Only three went to trial. And one fucking received a presidential fucking pardon. What's gross is that that's literally happening, happening That right still now. happens today. Yeah. Like, it, you, that sentence right there is timeless, unfortunately. It's still happening today. It's absolutely heinous. So gross. So, as I mentioned, Jefferson is a city in East Texas. Out of the 322 lynchings recorded in the state of Texas, mm. 307 of them occurred in East Texas. <gasps> wow. This is a very dangerous area to be black, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, Jefferson apparently glazes over its race, ra uh, racist history. Uh, as we know, the South loves, you know, waving around the Confederate flag there's a lot Southern of confederate heritage. it's so dumb honestly it's honestly unpatriotic <laughs> these people that tout themselves yeah. to be the most patriotic people that is the most unpatriotic thing there's a reason that we're the united states of america and not the confederate states of america so sit the fuck down yeah so D jefferson has a lot of confederate memorabilia and photo photos of confederate generals it's a very common sight in um the bars and restaurants in town and the Jefferson Historical Museum makes no mention of the town's racist past, of course. I just wanted to just touch on that. Yeah. Um, even though there's, like, nothing paranormal really in that, I just, like, I can't not talk about it. Yeah. Um, so then moving on, back to some fun paranormal stuff. So in this part, again, as I said, um, Jefferson has a lot of haunted hotels. And I'm going to talk about these two hotels. And when I was making notes in the middle of it was when I was realizing, I'm like, wait, this is a different hotel and not the original hotel I started <laughs> writing about. And the reason why they get mixed up a lot in different sources, like the stories and stuff, people often think that they're the same place that like go by different names. It, they are two different hotels right across the street from each other. One is, like, the address is, like, 24 Austin Road, and then the other one is 23 Austin Road. They're right across the street right. from each other. So I'm going to be covering the Jefferson Hotel and the Con Saloon Historic Hotel. So, again, they're right across the street from each other. I was trying to, like, separate out and reorganize my notes after I wrote it all to, you know, to their respective correct hotels. 
but forgive me if I get anything mixed up because it was rather confusing. Right. Like so many sources would say like the exact same story about the hotel across the street when they were referring to the, you know, another, it was just anyways. Right. So we'll start off with the Jefferson Hotel. Um, the building was initially built as a warehouse to support the cotton industry. And after the town's glory days were over, it reopened its doors as a hotel and, of course, a brothel. There's a lot of those in town. During Prohibition, the hotel hosted a secret speakeasy called the Crystal Palace. Fun. Ooh. Long after its heyday, as a very seedy kind of hangout, the Jefferson Hotel has kept its original furnishings. Which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That is cool. Now the hotel is known for the numerous ghosts that haunt its guests' rooms. The most well-known ghost is the Vanishing Man. Just about every guest who stays in the hotel has, enco encountered, has encountered him in one way or another. Excuse me, all my mumbling. Um, he has been seen wearing a long black trench coat and is known to randomly appear in the hotel rooms and stare at guests before disappearing. And some people have even, like, been walking behind him, like, following him, not thinking that he is a ghost, just thinking, thinking he's, like, a normal dude. And they, like, round the corner only to just see him vanish. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the Mill Children, who are spirits of two young boys who are believed to work in the building when it was the cotton mill. Um... They, oh, this is sad. The boys worked themselves to death and are now attached to the building. Mm, Witnesses boys. do say, though, they seem to be a very happy pair. They're keeping each other company okay. in the afterlife. Um, they're very often reported seeing, uh, uh, seen like laughing and joking in the halls, just kind of like just being boys, which makes me happy that they're yeah. at least, you know, having a good time and they're together. Good. Now, room 19 is the most haunted room in this hotel, containing the spirit of a teenage girl named Judy. She was thought to be the spirit of a prostitute. Here's another prostitute. Uh, left over from the hotel's bordello oh, days. 13? You said 13? No, room 19. How old was that girl? Um, spirit of a teenage girl. Doesn't say specifically. Oh, teenage. Yeah. I decided she was 13. I felt bad. <laughs> hey, back then she totally could have been. Right. Um, but yeah, so the story goes that she was stabbed to death and then she was left to die slowly in the bathtub, just bleeding out. Oh, I know. Her spirit is very often seen in the bathroom mirror and that she often like writes her name or she leaves messages asking for help. Poor girl. I know. Um, this is fun. The Jefferson Hotel has its own Book of the Dead, where guests write down any haunted experiences they um, ex have experienced for other future guests to read. Oh, cute. So that's cool. I was trying to find, like, oh, are, are there any photos of entries so I can read them, and I couldn't find yeah. any. So Aww. we're going to have to make a trip to Jefferson. <laughs> um, so earlier this year, a paranormal group called the Tennessee Wraith Chasers did an investigation in the Jefferson Hotel, according to ABC7 News. So one of the paranormal investigators, Chris Smith, recalls that on their recent investigation of the hotel, when they were up in the attic, like, all their equipment was lighting up, um, more so than he had seen in, like, any other place at once. He was like, there was oh, a dang. ton of activity in the attic. 
They didn't see anything or hear anything, but just like their equipment was going insane. Mm-hmm. Then later on in the night, when investigating room 19, there was a really clear knocking at the door. And when they opened the door, like pretty much right away, there was no one near the door, even in the hallway. Of course, they're like, oh, you know, somebody could could have been playing like a knock knock joke on us. But it was just like very, very eerie. Um, The hotel owner, Jeremy Jones, says, according to local lore, a bride hung herself in room 19 when her groom jilted her at the altar. So there's also that spirit connected to that room. And that many, many guests who have stayed in room 19, like, pack up and leave in the middle of the night. They, like, cannot stay oh, wow! Yeah. Yeah. Now, across the street at the historic Con Hotel, uh, originally known as, like, the Con Saloon, a few notable events that occurred in the saloon include an incident where a local deputy and um, a patron of the saloon shot and killed each other inside the front door. Very, like, typical in the West. Um, A paranormal group actually recorded the sound of gunshots in 2017. Oh, whoa. Ghostly gunshots, yeah. So that might be tied to that incident. Right. Um, In another event, uh, there was this woman, Jessica, who was a madame in the brothel. Again, more prostitutes, more brothels. Mm -hmm. Um, She did have a seven-year-old son, Andrew. They were unfortunately killed during a robbery upstairs, and they both seemed to, you know, remain at the hotel. The spirit of Andrew often plays tricks on guests, and Jessica can sometimes be seen at the top of the stairs in a white dress. Um, Another prostitute. Another event about a prostitute, um, a prostitute leaving one evening was beaten in the rear alley and dragged herself just inside the still existing back door where she then passed away. Bloodstains appear randomly at that entrance and were even photographed in July 2017. I have a photo that I will post on our socials. Um, What was crazy was in this photo, it was actually like, um, it's actually a still um, of a video. Okay. And it wasn't, like, the stain wasn't visible when they filmed it. It appeared, like, you see it very clearly when you're watching the video, apparently. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's very clear. It's not like, oh, well, that could be, you know, part of the carpet's design. No, it's like, it's a fucking blood stain. Um, Similarly to the bride across the street at the Jefferson Hotel, the Con Hotel also has its own bridal legend um so this young couple apparently went to jefferson they eloped got married and the girl's father came after them the father confronted the couple a scuffle ensued in like the upstairs area in the back um in the in the fight with the um groom and the father the i i can only imagine the bride was trying to break them up or something something happened and the bride to be was accidentally knocked out the rear window and fell to her death on the street below oh i know poor poor thing after knocking the groom unconscious the father reportedly hung him from the rafters in the rear left corner upstairs wow um very violent very yeah 
Um, so according to the Con Saloon's website, over 300 paranormal investigations have taken place in the building over a 10-year period. And um, the partial, this partial list of investigations that I'm going to describe below um, basically have uh, the, per like, the percentage of investigators that identified the same sp spirits. It's just so consistent. Like they actually like right. <laughs> recorded data. Every time they would have an investigation, they would allow the in paranormal investigators to describe what they experienced. Mm -hmm. And they say that this list pretty much gives credence to the ghostly presence, like the existence of these spirits there. These are not the isolated findings of a few single investigators, quote unquote, is what the website right, yeah. says. So here's the list that they compiled. 75% of the investigators revealed a seven-year-old spirit named Andrew that was drowned in a bathroom upstairs in the front. Andrew and his mother, Jessica, who was a madame in the brothel, were killed during the course of a robbery, as I mentioned. Oh, yeah. And as I said, Andrew is known to be quite playful, particularly pulling hair and rattling, rattling door handles, which honestly would scare the fuck out of me. <laughs> it's more like, um, you know, pranky than playful. <laughs> <laughs> so Jessica, Andrew's mother, was identified by 90% of the investigators. Wow. She is said to have stepped out of the bath in the upstairs front part of the building and surprised the robbers. Jessica always wore white and was then known as the lady in white and is frequently seen, as I said, in the staircase and upstairs in the window. And she's always wearing white when people report seeing her. 90% of investigators identified a man spirit named a man spirit, a male spirit, a man spirit um, named Billy, a reported borderline poltergeist, but a friendly one moving items occasionally and causing loud noises. He is said to do these things to keep people away from his space, which is upstairs. He does, he does seem to tolerate women better than men. And it is believed that Billy was the groom that was hanged as described above. Okay. 50% of investigators identified Captain Perry. Legend has it that he was one of the first riverboat captains to dock in Jefferson, and he hung out at the Con Saloon and brothel a lot. He was reportedly murdered in town by a group of Union sympathizers, but apparently returns to where he was the most entertained <laughs> while he was down. <laughs> Captain Perry can sometimes be sensed by his cigar smell in the hallways. All right. Identified by 75% of the 300 investigators, Jacqueline was from New Orleans and came to Jefferson as a prostitute in the 1860s. Two men shot and killed each other over her in front of the saloon. So that could also be, and there was that story of like the deputy and the, the local, but maybe it was, right. they were fighting over her. Who knows? Right. Um, and they were buried in a common grave at Oakwood Cemetery in Jefferson. Visitors can locate their common grave at the cemetery as it is marked by two metal posts with a chain between them. Jacqueline was said to have become quite distraught over the deaths and hung herself the next night upstairs. Mm. The occasional moaning and crying sounds heard are said to arise from Jacqueline. Oh, Jacqueline, I'm so sorry. Um... All right, 75% of the investigators identified the Watchman. So his name is unknown, but that's his moniker. 
He is said to wander outside the building. Visitors will hear a metallic tapping on a window occasionally from the barrel of his shotgun. The watchman's oh. way of letting you know that all is well. Which okay. is like, okay, so that's not creepy. Not creepy. He's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming if he was a watchman, he was literally like a hired watchman to like, like basically he right. was like the security guard of the hotel yeah. slash brothel. And um, ironically, the tapping can also be heard on the upstairs windows. Ooh. Mm-hmm. They're over 20 feet from the ground. So, you know, he's, he's using his um, spiritly, you know, <laughs> abilities in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> there was an Abigail identified by 65% of investigators, and she was a prostitute in the building. Her um, death is kind of unknown, like how she died. Guests mm-hmm. occasionally report being awakened by what feels like someone sitting down on the bed. And finally, the naked lady has been, oh my goodness, I would not (laughs) want to be naked in the afterlife. (laughs) The naked lady has been identified by 70% of the investigators and has only begun appearing in the last few years, which is interesting. She is seen standing in the third window upstairs, naked and smiling. I don't like any of that. Um, Well, she's happy. Maybe she's having a good time. Like, I'm happy for her. But every time I think about naked smiling people, I always think about the end of like cult horror movies. They're always naked and they're always smiling. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that she was a cult person, but it just sounds creepy to me. Okay, so she is thought to be a young woman that visited the hotel and decided to move to Jefferson a few years ago. So this is much more recent. Mm-hmm. On her way back here from California, she was killed in an accident in Arizona. And her visage began to appear shortly after that. A ghost hunter photographed the naked lady in the third window upstairs in 2016. I could not find that photo, though. And um, I will actually send you a screenshot right now of the photo of the bloodstain because it's at the end of my notes. But I realize it's I didn't write these notes in our uh, Google Drive. I did it in my personal one. So if you go to Trello, I'm just uploading it now to the Trello card. It's any minute now. Oh, it's an interesting pattern. Right? It definitely yeah. looks like if someone were to have bled out on the floor there. Yeah. And yeah, and that oh. is Jefferson. Good old Jefferson. I mean, that isn't all of Jefferson. I'm sure there's many more haunted stories that I'm missing because it was tough to get every single spot. Yeah. So, I mean, it just attests to the fact that this place is soups haunted. Yeah, Ashley wasn't kidding. <laughs> yeah, she really was not. She was not. Um. So, yeah, that's my story and that's our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm like, as we get to the end, my eyes are like, I'm ready to sleep. <laughs> it's and like it just PM. hit me. <laughs> I didn't, I barely slept last night. Oh, so, oh, that's right. That's right. You told me that. Um, yeah. Your your dogs are a little stinky. Yeah. And the house was stinky. I like, I had to leave the bedroom because it smelled so bad. And then I, I tried to sleep on the couch but I could still smell things. Mm. And then I went and slept in the spare bedroom. 
which you'd think I'd go there first, but we don't really have it set up <laughs> as a spare bedroom. It yeah. kind of had stuff all over the bed. Anyway, and then I just couldn't sleep. Oh, that sucks. Also, oh. skunk spray. I did not realize that smelled so much different than like generic, like when you smell a skunk outside. Well, isn't skunk spray made to like remove the odor of skunk? No, like when they spray. Oh, you're saying smell. like the fresh spray doesn't yeah. smell like when it actually sits and you like smell like, oh, there's a, a skunk or whatever. Yeah. Interesting. Like even when we went outside today, it doesn't smell like skunk. It smells like. I mean, it still smells horrible. bad, I'm sure. Well, toxic. <laughs> oh, no. <It's> horrible. <laughs> well, I hope you get much better shut eye tonight. And thank you listeners for tuning in again. Um, We'll be back at you next week with our witchy episode. It's a surprise. Even for me, I don't know what we're covering. (laughs) It'll be, it's, um, it's not officially part of a series, but it's more like a, um, intro to a series, like a, listen to this before we get to it kind of a thing Ooh, i love all our series (laughs) we have so many now (laughs) we do we do and this is one that's it's part of it's connected to one that has been requested and i just i thought you know it's gonna be fun (gasps) oh my god i have an inkling but i don't want to say it okay well definitely tune in (laughs) next week to find out what it is that we're covering we will both or all of us find out together. Um, <laughs> Laura's the only one with the in. Um, that's exciting. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week. I'm Maria. I'm Laura. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at The New Witches pretty much everywhere. Check out our website, thenewwitches.com. Um, you can also go to our contact page there to submit a listener story if you'd like to submit one for a future episode. We just had um our listener story number 13 come out yesterday so you can make it for number 14 um another way to submit your story is emailing it in so email us at thenewwitches at gmail.com you can also call us leave us a voicemail either your question or your story or if you're just saying hi our google voice number um, is 707-559-8111 that goes straight to voicemail and you have three minutes to leave your message just so you know. Um, finally, if you'd like to support the show, obviously give us a like and follow, comment, save our posts on social media. It also helps us out immensely to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Um, tell your friends and family about us. And another great way to support the podcast, become a Patreon member. Go to patreon.com slash the new witches. We give our Patreon members exclusive access to bonus content. We give them bonus episodes every month, um, private readings. Um, We are also added to our close friends list on Instagram, a bunch of goodies and added to our private Facebook group too. So definitely check that out. And with that, thank you so much. We love y'all. So happy to be back from our break. So happy. Yeah. It's so nice to be back to this. It is. It really is. So stay witchy, y'all. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>